Pastor Mark is going to share with us today on the perspective of prayer, but I'm going to read through the text. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before, before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward, but when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in the secret will reward you openly." And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need before you even ask. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Pastor Mark. Good morning. Please uh, go ahead and, and be seated. Good to be with you guys this morning. Yesterday was definitely an interesting day. Uh, my wife and I have been out for the day in Elizabeth Seaport for our annual homage at her Mecca, which is Ikea, and, um, <laughs> and uh, I started getting texts from Pastor Mike, and, and uh, he, you know, he, he was, it was looking more and more like his flight was going to be canceled. Up until that point, it just was delayed many hours, and then eventually it did get canceled, but um, that didn't happen until later in the evening yesterday. In the, in the meantime, we're driving back yesterday evening from uh, Elizabeth, and uh, we get a text from Pastor Colin. He's like, guys, pray for us. We, we uh, had to just you know, have the ambulance come and pick up Joanna. She hit her head and blacked out, and uh, we weren't, they weren't sure what was happening. She's okay now, but she's you know, home resting. So they spent the day in the ER yesterday, and um, Colin wasn't feeling well either, so he was sick with like a stomach issues and he's in the ER, she's having tests done and he was, uh, be, they were being tested for sure with their, uh, you know, their resolve. And um, then I get home and I don't normally have this kind of an episode, but I had an episode of, of, of uh, vertigo that would not leave me. I tried to get out of the car and I like fell over and grabbed the car and I'm like, what is going on? So I come inside and I'm, I'm resting on the couch because when I would walk, I felt like I was drunk, and, um, and then I, I'm, as I'm laying there, I get a call from Mike, and he says, yeah, so they canceled our flight, so uh, can you teach tomorrow? And I said, um, I think so, yeah, it should be all right, you know, if I have to do it in a wheelchair, I'll do it in a wheelchair. But uh, so the Lord is faithful, and, uh, you know, I got some sleep last night, and today uh, the vertigo is pretty minimal. So, good, we're, we're connected, praise the Lord. So we're going to be in Matthew 6 today, which is affectionately known as the Lord's Prayer. We might want to call it the Disciples' Prayer because really 
They had asked to be taught to pray, and this is the model that Jesus gave them. And, you know, as we approach this, if you're like me, uh, you know, I grew up Roman Catholic, and I had memorized this prayer, and it is a beautiful, profound prayer. But, you know, later on in life, as I, and I had it memorized, you know, and I would, I would always recite it by heart, by memory, didn't think much about it. I would finish with the sign of the cross, which is what I had been taught to do. But I didn't really give much thought to it. And it wasn't until later in life uh, when I had a, a, just a deep relationship with the Lord, a, a real a personal relationship with Him, where it was relationship and not religion, that this prayer began to mean something more to me. And I, I want to encourage you, because if you're like that, if you have that kind of a background, you might feel like, oh, well, you know, we shouldn't pray this because it's a part of religion and it's not meaningful. That's not the case. If, if you pray this and you actually mean what is said here, and we're going to take a look at what that actually is, it is very challenging. It's brief, but it is profound as the ocean is deep. It is an amazing, amazing prayer spanning so much in such a short, uh, you know, list of, of, of a few verses. And I think that's partly the point that Jesus makes to the disciples as he teaches them, because what we're seeing here in chapter 6 is this is the Sermon on the Mount, also called the Olivet Discourse, and Jesus has just been rebuking the religiosity of the day, the religious leaders, and talking about uh, sort of the hypocrisy that was there. And in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 6, he's dealing with those good deeds that are done before man for the purpose of receiving the praise of man. And Jesus says, hey, I tell you the truth, those who do that, they've received their reward in full. That's all you're going to get is the praise of man. And what is that worth? Here today, gone tomorrow. And Jesus is an example of that, right? They praised him when he was doing things for them. But then at his trial, they cried out, crucify him. And so this is a temptation that we all have. We all have a desire at times to be acknowledged for what we do. It's human nature. And there's a side to it where we do need affirmation. But there's also a side to our motives not being right. And if we, if we go into something that's a good thing, it can become a less good thing because our motive is wrong. And so Jesus says, do your good deeds Secretly, don't let your right hand see what your left hand is doing, that your father who sees it, he will give you your reward, not people. But then in verses 5 to 8, he, he addresses the religiosity seen through prayer and how prayer was being done for recognition as well. And he was coming out hard against the scribes and many of the religious leaders who in that time would strategically plan out where they're going to be at what times of day, their favorite place to be when the temple horn would blow for the call to prayer was in the open marketplace on the corner where the most people would be. And when that horn would blow, they would raise their hands to the sky and look up and begin to, to pray and draw attention to themselves so that those who are looking would see them in their white garments and say, oh, what, what a holy man. Jesus says, don't, don't do that. Don't be like that. That's not what prayer is about. Prayer is not to be done for others to see you or others to hear you. And listen, I understand because I'm like you, I'm human. 
When we pray and there are others around, we, we don't want to sound stupid when we pray. We're, we're paying attention to what we're saying. That's, that's absolutely natural, but we need to be careful that we don't get caught up into saying and doing so that others would recognize us. Because prayer, you know, our service to God is for God. Our prayer to God is for God. He is the, he is the audience and others are not. So ultimately, prayer is between us and God. And this is the, the very first principle that Jesus sets up in teaching these disciples how to pray. And by the way, I love the fact that they asked him to teach them. You know, it's not teaching us a, a sort of a, a, um, a list of, of words that we are to repeat, although, again, you could if you mean them. It's teaching him the way to pray. In other words, a manner in which there, there are principles and these principles kind of form an outline for us so that as we begin to pray, we're conscious of the fact that we're, 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 addressing, we're addressing God. This is between me and him. This is not between me and, a, and an audience. It's between me and, it's, and, and my father, my, my creator. And so what we could do really is we could divide the section that we're going to look at into two sections. Uh, the first is going to be focusing on, on God as our, our infinite creator. And then the second half, we'll be looking more at ourselves as finite humanity. So we deal with the divine, and then we deal with the human. And uh, Jesus will set us up with an incredible, heart-challenging lesson today. And I love, I love this so much. So let's get into it. In fact, let's pray before we do. Because even though you prayed with the worship team, I want to pray with you guys too. And lift up some things. And by the way, there are some, some really encouraging reports just to give thanks to God for. Um, Greg Mulder's, like down to, I think, uh, I forget the unit that they measure it in, but he went down from 12 to 7 on his oxygen requirement. And when he gets to 6, he'll be actually ready to be released and able to come home. So we are so thankful for that. Praise the Lord. Amen. We've been praying for that. And um, it's been amazing to watch that journey. They have, uh, you know, stayed faithful and, and steadfast and trusting God through it. So let's, uh, let's pray together and uh, come before our Lord. So, Father, we do thank you for this morning. We just thank you for bringing us here, your faithfulness to us. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to just open your word. We pray that you would speak to us through it, that, Lord, ultimately you would be glorified and we as your people would be edified. We give you thanks, Lord, for just all the, the good things that we're hearing about. Thank you, Lord, that, that Mike and Lauren and the kids are on their way back. We pray for safe travel for them. We, we thank you, Lord, that Joanna's okay and Colin's doing a little better today. We just pray for them. Just give a, a full and speedy recovery. And Lord, again, thank you for Greg. Just, we're so looking forward, Lord, to seeing them back in, in our midst again here and um, and what you have in store for their future. So Lord, as we dig into your word, would you challenge us, meet us where we are with you. Help us, Lord, to go deeper with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So verse 9, Jesus says, In this manner, therefore, pray. And the first thing he says is, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
So I've got to ask, as we read that, what do you think is the reason Jesus begins this prayer, our Father in heaven? Is he doing this because if, he, if we don't say our Father in heaven, God doesn't know we're, we're speaking to him? And then when he hears our Father in heaven, he says, oh, oh, they're, they're, they're talking to me, now I'm going to listen. What's the reason he gives this specific Opening statement for us as we pray. Any, any thoughts? We're in Bible college class today. Any thoughts on that? Why does he say our Father? No, I know you have thoughts. You're just too, you're, you, don't, you don't have courage to share it with me. So, well, I'm going to say what I think, what I believe is he gives it to us so that we know who we're talking to, Right? The very first thing that we want to have perspective of, and again, this is, we're calling this prayer in perspective because he's giving us perspective in sort of a, uh, this shell that we can then fill in with all those things that we want to add to it, but this gives us principles and perspective. We have to first remember, above all else, that when we come to God, we are coming to our Father. Who are we addressing? You see, A.W. Tozer, who was one of my favorite authors, uneducated man from Pennsylvania, uh, became a believer, I think it was during the times of the revival, um, and uh, he ended up becoming an incredible theologian and a prolific writer of many books. Many of his books are some of my favorites, Knowledge of the Holy, um, and I think it's in that very book that he made this statement. He says, you know, the most important thing about you and about me as a Christian, is what we think about God. What enters our mind when we think about God, and why is that true? Why is that so important? Well, you see, what we think of God will absolutely, 100%, determine how we behave. It will affect the decisions we make. It will impact our faith and how much we can trust God. What we believe matters, and what we believe about God matters uh, most importantly, because from there, everything else follows. And if ever there was a time we think about God, or at least we should be thinking about God, it's when we pray. You see, if we approach God in prayer, and we, we think of him as the, the deists did. You remember the deists, they were among some of the early uh, founding fathers in our country. They believe that God exists. They believe he created the, the heavens. He created all things. But once he was done creating everything, he kind of set it in motion. He, he took his hands off the wheel and, and he left it to be. And even though he created us, he's not really interested in being engaged in the affairs of man. He's not involved in our world. He made it, but we're on our own. Not only is that depressing, but why would I ever pray if that's God? What's the point? The flip side to that are the neotheists who they believe, well, yeah, you know, God created everything and he would like to be involved and he is involved, but God is learning. He's evolving with the rest of the universe and he has to wait to see what's going to happen before he can make a decision because he doesn't know the future from the end, you know. Now imagine that. So poor God, he wants to help us. He's a good God, but 
he just isn't always that effective because he can't figure it out. How does, how does that impact our faith then, you see? So as we approach God, it's, it's, it's of tantamount importance that we first and, and foremost understand who it is we are addressing. And so Jesus wants us to grasp our relationship with God as our Father. This is the very first thing he says. And this isn't, by the way, a completely new concept for the Jews that he was uh, speaking to. Uh, there, there were times that God would sometimes be referred to as Father. I think there's one occasion in Isaiah uh, chapter 64 where God is referred to as the Father of his people. But this is a very personal this is in a very personal sense. This is not the general fatherhood of God because he created all people, therefore he's everybody's father. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is those who are truly his, those who love God, who have come into a relationship with God, we can approach him and call him father, and we should do so. If you think of what John said in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, he said, as many as received him, Jesus, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. Then later again in his epistle to the church in 1 John, he says this. He says, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. See, it's, it's actually a very privileged Position. It's a privileged relationship that we don't deserve because sin has separated us from God. So when we come into a relationship with him and we are restored and made right with him by the work of Jesus, we have come into something very precious, very special. Something that the rest of the world cannot say unless and until they have professed Christ as their Savior and they have received of his atoning work. And so... When we say these words, our Father, all the things that come with the idea of Father are true of God, except better because he's perfect. So when you think of a father, you think of someone who is close, someone who loves, someone who cares for and delights in his children. And listen, we haven't all had that kind of experience with our earthly father. Some of us may not have had a father, an earthly father at all. But in God, we have a heavenly father. And so there is headship with God. He is our leader. He is our provider. He is our protector. He is our authority, our instructor. He disciplines us as his children, which sometimes isn't very pleasant. The writer to the Hebrews says that no discipline at any given time feels good, but it produces something much more fruitful. And he also says, listen, if God does that to you as your father, know this, that you are a legitimate child of God. If you're off on your own calling yourself a Christian and you never experience the discipline of God, no matter how reckless and how disobedient you live, you should be concerned because God is faithful to discipline us. So when we experience that discipline and it gets our attention we we're warmed again in our hearts to him and we're thankful that he's involved in our life in such a detail 
Because you see, it's easier to not discipline kids. It takes love and purpose of action to stay faithful in disciplining children. But God as our Father, he does that. So all of these things that are true of the ideal earthly father are true in perfection with our Heavenly Father. And Jesus is getting this concept across to his audience in a way that is, until now, has never been done. The Olivet Discourse, this sermon, just in this sermon alone, he has called God Father 15 times. Throughout the Gospel of Matthew, 43 times he refers to God as Father. And so there's something very special that he is setting up for us as that, per, that perspective. But you see, he doesn't leave it there. Yes, Father is a privileged title that we get to call him if we are in Christ today. But it's not just any father. It's our heavenly father. And you see, this begins then to balance sort of that, that, that privilege that we have in our relationship to God with our reverence for God. These things come together and we say, yes, He's our father, but he's not just any father. He's our heavenly father. And so as our heavenly father, he transcends our world. He is separate from his creation, not dependent on it or limited by it. But he's active and involved in it and able to work through it. And that is something so different than the other ideas that we talked about at the very beginning for those deists and those neo-theists and these fancy words, these people that come up with titles that in the end represent something so silly, so unbiblical. And so as our Heavenly Father, we're, we're, he's transcendent and it begins to depict then the majesty and the power that comes with who God is. So this is that perfect and beautiful balance of, man, not only does God love me as my Heavenly Father and I can come to him and I am told to do so, to come to the throne of grace in time of need, come boldly and receive help. But he's actually able to do something about it because he's not just a father in heaven, on earth, but he's a father in heaven. Not limited by time and space and matter. It's transcendent. You see, as much as I love my kids and I love my kids with my whole heart and that there's nothing I won't do, lay down my life for them in a heartbeat. As much as I love them and I want what's best for them always, I don't always successfully deliver that to them. I fail. I'm not always the perfect example. I lose my temper sometimes. I remember, I'm just going to confess to you because I have had a temper throughout my life, but God has changed it radically. But there was one time my son was maybe two years old and he saw me whip the telephone into the wall because I was so frustrated with something that was happening. I was on hold forever with a guy who couldn't speak English right. I couldn't understand him, and I got so frustrated, and I threw the phone, and it made a dent in the wall. And he still today, 15 years later, says, remember that day you threw the phone against the wall? I'm like, e no, no, you, that, that didn't happen. You saw that on TV, Luca. You were little. You, didn't, you don't know what you're talking about. He called me out on it. Yeah, he's right. So I haven't always been that perfect example. But as we look to Jesus, we can see what is our father like because 
Jesus said to the disciples, Philip, right? Guys, listen, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I've been doing that this whole time. By what you see in me, you've seen the Father. And so as our Heavenly Father, guys, listen, God is able to do unimaginable things. God is able to do miraculous things. Let me ask you, do you believe that as you address your Father in heaven? Sometimes it is not exactly what we ask because we ask with finite perspective. Sometimes it's not done when or the way that we want, but God is able and he does do things that remind us he transcends time, space, and matter. I never forget one of my favorite testimonies of God's sovereignty and his omnipotence was when I was living in Yugoslavia, which is now Serbia. The country fell apart since then. This was the early 90s. And uh, I was a missionary there in the northeastern area called Vojvodina. And the country was at war. It had had a civil war. And it, it, it had fallen apart. You guys probably remember the war between Croatia, Bosnia, Herzegovina, and Serbia. Uh, my wife is from, from that country, from Serbia. And uh, I went over on the, on the very tail end of the war. It was still kind of happening a little bit. And so things were, were just devastated there. And... Um, we were trying to help the people. And so I, we had a massive influx of refugees come up from Bosnia into the northeastern section where we were living in Vojvodina. And I began an, uh, a refugee ministry giving out care packages to them once a month. And we'd visit them and minister them and share the gospel with them. And we were helping a local orphanage who no longer had any way to obtain supplies. And so we raised funds, we raised uh, support of supplies from the United States. Most of it came from New Jersey. And uh, they shipped over to us a tremendous amount of things for the, the orphanage. In that shipment, everything was boxed up in these boxes with doves on it from Calvary Chapel, right? So you know the dove symbol that we used to have here. And the problem with that is getting that into the country, all the, 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 the um, border patrol guards know what that bird represented. That bird got us in a lot of trouble. They knew that it was with Calvary Chapel, and they didn't like us because we weren't the Orthodox Church. And, um, and the way they functioned, you had to ask permission from Belgrade, and then if they found it in their favor to give it to you, you could bring things in. So we had been down that road and shut down before, and we said, no, we're going to get these supplies in. We know God wants these kids to have what they need. So we figured, well, you know what? We're going to do it, and then we'll, we'll ask forgiveness later, right? We're not going to ask permission. So we uh, had it shipped to our neighboring country, Hungary. And uh, just over the border, really, there was a, a nearby church, and they were able to receive it for us. And I asked a Hungarian-Serbian guy, um, who spoke both languages, to come with me to pick up the supplies. And he had the trailer and this old Yugoslavian car that was just hilarious. And part of the excitement of the trip was, are we even going to make it back? <laughs> this car was so bad. You should just put a hole through the floor and, you know, Barney Rubble style, Fred Flintstone, and just run with your feet. It was pretty bad. But we made it. But then we come back and we get to the border, and this trailer is wide open. It's not a boxed, it's not closed. So you can see what's on all the boxes. 
And the border patrol knew us. They knew that bird means we're with the church. They didn't like us. And so Arnold and I, we had prayed, Lord, would you blind their eyes so that we can get across this border with these things for the kids? Just, just blind their eyes. Let them not see it. I mean, I know it's a crazy idea. This is a big trailer full of boxes, but hey, you did it for Elisha when he prayed to blind the eyes of the Syrian army, right? That Jedi mind trick. Uh, this is not the way. Oh, this is not the way, right? Remember that episode or that, that event? And then he said, this is the way. And they're like, oh, this is the way. And then he led them into Israel's encampment, and they were able to uh, take control of the situation and even show the Syrians mercy. And at that point, after they had actually had their eyes blinded by God, they didn't realize what was happening. Elisha prayed for his servant and said, Lord, would you open his eyes so that he can actually see what's happening in the invisible world? And God opened his eyes and he realized they're surrounded by chariots and warriors in the unseen world. There's this angelic presence, something so amazing. You see, there is something that happens in the invisible realm. It's not just what you and I see here. We're in a spiritual battle. And so we prayed that God would blind their eyes. We pull up to the border. There's the border patrol guard with his Kalashnikov, and he's standing there with a cigarette in his mouth. And I get out of the car with our passports, and I yell over to him, and I say, Pasoshi, which just means passports, looks at me like he doesn't see me, sees right through me. Nobody came. I thought, that's strange. Then two officers came out of the guard shack, and they walked right by our car, and I walked up to them and said, Pasoshi, to take our passports. They didn't even look at me, like they didn't hear me. So I looked at Arnold, and I said, what's going on? He goes, hey, if it happens again, let's just drive through. And I'm like, all right, sounds good. So, you know, mind you, we're, we're like, we prayed for this. It's happening, and we're, we're, so, we're just not even aware of what's happening. What's wrong with us, you know? It's like when the disciples were praying for Peter to be released from prison. He gets out, and he comes, and he's knocking on the door, and, and one of the girls goes to get the door. They're like, it's Peter. And they're like, it can't be Peter. He's in prison. But they just finished praying for his release, right? <laughs> we have little faith. So Arnold says, hey, if it happens again a third time, let's just drive through. So sure enough, it happened a third time. I called out to the officers. They walked right by me. I looked at him. I got in the car. But now there's a problem. Standing in front of us, in front of the gate, is, is another patrol guard with his machine gun and a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. And we look at him, and he just takes a puff of his cigarette. He steps aside, and he lifts the gate up, and he waves us on through. Now, they had just stopped and dismantled cars, taking panels off because of drugs being smuggled into the country. And they were, they were combing through everybody's vehicles, and he waved us through. Here we come through with this old Yugoslavian car, and this trailer full of boxes with the, with the dove on it. We were so shaken up. We got to the other side. We, when we got back into Serbia, we pulled over, and we were trembling. I was trembling. I, I mean, because it was a stressful thing. Every time I went over that border, I got more gray hair on my beard. And so we were just thanking God for what he did. In somewhat, unfortunately, sadly to say for us, in disbelief that he actually did what we asked him to do, that he actually blinded their eyes. Guys, listen, that doesn't happen in war-torn Yugoslavia in the early 90s. That was a Red Sea crossing of the 90s, and uh, 
we were just blown away by what God did. And there were other things like that that God did that only he could do. And what a faith builder that was for me. Even just telling you that story, I'm encouraged today to believe that God can and still will do great things like that. So with this, though, comes one more thing. Not only is he our father, and he is our father in heaven, which balances that privilege and um, perspective, but we realize through this that Jesus is telling us to pray directly to him, directly to the Father. We don't need to go through firewalls or channels of, of people. Listen, I, I grew up, I was taught, if you want specific things, you pray to this saint. If you lose, if you lose something, you pray to that saint. If, you know, and, then, and if you really want Jesus to do something for you, pray to Mary because he always listens to his mother. That is such an Italian thing, I'm telling you. And, you know, not to take away from our, our, our appreciation of Mary and, and our acknowledgement of those who have gone before us in the faith that we call today saints, as God calls us saints as well, but there's no, we don't need to send messages to God through somebody else. God says, come directly to me. There's one mediator between God and man, the Bible says. Jesus Christ, 1 Timothy 2.5. So even though he is in heaven, we always have an audience with our Father, and there is no barriers to us to come to him. This is the first perspective that Jesus gives us. And then he says, verse, second uh, half of verse 9, hallowed be your name. That's just a fancy way of saying, uh, may your name be honored, may your name be Glorified. May your name be held in high esteem. And it's not just the name or the letters in the name. Like you spell my name M-A-R-K. That's not what, what Jesus is saying because the name is so much more than the sounds the letters produce. It's about the person behind the name. It's about the character of God, the person of God. All that that name represents, his faithfulness, his attributes, his love, his holiness, his righteousness, his justice, his omnipotence, all of that. That all of these aspects of who God is, represented by his name, that that would be hallowed, and that is to be honored and held in high esteem. I can't, I can't pass by sharing with you. <laughs> when I used to pray this as a kid, I used to say hallowed, like when you hollow out a, a pumpkin. I, that's, that's what I used to think it was as a kid. Did you ever think that? Of course you did. I, there was a little girl who thought that this was actually saying, Howard, be your name. So she thought God's name is Howard. <laughs> Isn't that cute? I love that. But holding God's name in high esteem. Now, see, for us to pray this means that we are asking God to not just somehow through other means for his name to be glorified, but we're saying, Lord, would you be glorified through me as well? Because how is God's name held in esteem and honored? And glorified, if not by what he does through his people, if it's not by what others see in you and me as God's people, this is how his name is honored and esteemed. And so you and I, as we pray this, if we pray this sincerely, we're saying, God, would you be glorified in my life, through my life? I want your name to be held 
in high esteem by the world. And friends, you see, as children of God, if, if that's who you and I are, that's what we want for our Father. We want, we want people to know who He is. We want, him, we want them to know His greatness. We want them to appreciate and acknowledge Him as their Creator. Interestingly, this is actually what is going to be acknowledged in heaven. If you read Revelation chapter 4, there around the, the, the throne of the Lamb of God are the elders constantly praising him. And what are they saying? They're saying, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. Holy is your name. For you are the creator of heaven and earth and all that is in them. Acknowledgement for God as our creator is something that, listen, if people don't get it right in this world, in this life, they're going to figure it out too late, but they'll figure it out because God will receive praise for his creation, for what he's made. Listen, he deserves it, right? People, artists sign their names on paintings because they want people to know, hey, I made this. Well, God will receive that glory, and this is what we desire. As much as the world inspired by the enemy, has worked hard to remove God's name from his artwork. You and I have a chance right now, today, to display what he has done, to display who the author is, the artist. And one day, all will acknowledge. Every knee will bow before Jesus one day. For some, it will be to worship. For some, it will be in humiliation and regret. But that day will come, and may God use us now for that purpose to reach many, that his name would be hallowed by more and more people, held in high esteem, understood. And then in following with his name is his kingdom, and of course, these are attached in some way. Verse 10, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, because you and I are believers in Jesus Christ and we have been given the Spirit of God, we can say that we are part of his kingdom here and now. Would you agree with that? Would you agree? Right, we're in the kingdom of God. Okay, so there's a, so God spiritually, he reigns among and through his people in a spiritual kingdom. We have been born again of the Spirit but there is a physical kingdom that is coming as well. That is what the Bible has told us, and we look forward to that coming kingdom. We don't want to just have Christ reign in us and among us. We want him to be making things right once again in this world, on this earth. Listen, if ever there was a time that I am ready for that to happen, it's now. I have never been more disillusioned with, with, with what the world has to offer than now. And yes, it's still, it's still God's creation and there are many good things about it, but when you look at the conflict of humanity, when you look at the, the, how far man has come and continues to push away from the glory of God and his intention for creation, the more it breaks our hearts. You see, in God's kingdom, there will be no war between us. There will be no conflict. We will be perfectly united under the leadership of the Lamb of God. 
and that concept, even as Jesus being the lion and the lamb, what an amazing combination to think of Jesus as one who can roar as a lion, yet be as gentle as a lamb, and be the one that laid his life down for you and for me. That's the one who I want to reign over me. That's the one who I want to run for the presidency. Until, until then, there's, there's never going to be a candidate on earth that can deliver what God intends for us. You see, we weren't created to be governed by man. We're not capable of governing one another faithfully as God is. When sin disrupted what we had at early creation, that is when man took it upon himself to figure things out and kingdoms were established. And ever since, there has been conflict upon conflict between kingdoms. And you look at the world and the history of the Bible is riddled with conflict. And that's what we see around the entire world. It's happening right now with Russia and Ukraine and I wouldn't be surprised if it escalates beyond that with the European countries because those are all NATO nations bordering Ukraine and uh, things are very, very fragile. Not so in Christ's kingdom. And so to ask for his kingdom then to come is to simultaneously say no to my kingdom, right? But many times... We're, we're caught up in building our kingdom, and we don't even realize it. But you know when I realized it the first time? Like some of you, uh, I was engaged to get married to my wife, Renata. And I remember thinking and praying for the Lord's return, and I was like, you know, Lord, I mean, I'm so blown away that somebody wants to marry me. Can you just hold off until that's done? Like, I, I want to have pictures from my wedding to send to my friends who said, you have no chance with Renata. Well, they were wrong. And then we got married. And I'm like, okay, cool. But you know what? I really want to experience fatherhood. Yeah, I want your kingdom to come, Jesus, but would you just give me a little more time here and now to experience fatherhood, and then you can come. But I just want to have kids and be able to say, I, I want to leave earth as a father and we had lots of issues that, you know, we just couldn't get pregnant for many, many years. And there's a whole story to that I won't share today. But uh, eventually he did give us kids. And what a joy that was and has been. But then the kids, they grow. And then the, the problems and the challenges grow, right? And then you're like, okay, uh, you know, Lord, you can, you can come back now. <laughs> Whenever you're ready, Lord, I'm ready. You know, and then your, your prayer begins to change, right? But there's always the next generation that wants you know, kids that want to live life and engage couples and singles that want to get married and just different things. But to pray for the kingdom of God to come is simultaneously to pray and take our hands off our kingdom and say, this is not about, it's not about me, Lord, your kingdoms. Let's seek first the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus said. And then all these other things will be added unto you. So if nothing else, what this is doing for us, guys, is it's challenging us in this, this model prayer. You see, as a young Catholic boy, I prayed this without really thinking what it meant. But to recite it as a born-again believer, if you truly mean it, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not, this is, this, God gave this to us. It's a beautiful prayer. But if we mean these words as we pray them, you see, that's when the heart challenge begins to happen. 
That's when the perspective starts to focus and we realize what we're actually saying. The entire first portion of this prayer is all about God, his nature, his kingdom, his will, his glory. And then we'll get to our stuff. But it's all about him first. And so Jesus says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, again, if ever there was a challenge to you and to me, it's in praying for God's will to be done, which when we do that, we, we often pray for things and we say, not, you know, if it be your will, Lord, right? That's how we've learned to pray. Uh, and usually, if we're honest, depending on what it is we're praying for, uh, we may attach to that a little bit of hope that God's will is lining up with our, our, our will, right? Like, it should line up with my will. God, that's what I'm hoping for here. But when we believe that God is really our Father and He's really our Father in heaven, and if He's good and loving and all-knowing, then when we get to this point of praying and saying, God, your will be done, even if it's uncomfortable for me, even if it's, uh, you know, maybe painful or a little disappointing for me at this time in my life. But I trust you enough to say, not my will, yours be done. Because you're loving, because you're my father, because you know what's best. That's freedom. If we can pray that and really mean that and say, Lord, your will be done, we are simultaneously saying, not my will. And that is where I am most often challenged, if I'm honest with you. And if you're honest with me, you'll admit that that is a challenge for you as well. This is why I believe one of the reasons why Jesus said before you say anything and pray for anything, remember who you're talking to. Because from there, everything else gets a little easier. You know, when we were coming out to Jersey, I told God, God, get us out of California, but don't take us to New Jersey. <laughs> I literally said that. I, I was born and raised in North Jersey, so I'm, I'm a Jersey guy through and through. Hang out with me, listen to my sarcasm. You know I'm from Jersey, but it's just not what I wanted to do. Like coming to Jersey wasn't a geographical plan. It wasn't like, you know what, everything's better in Jersey. Let's go there. But I will say this, people in Jersey are pretty cool. And I had to wrestle with God and say, not my will be done yours be done. And I knew he was going to take us to Jersey. That's why I was like, God, don't do it. Don't do it, God. But now I'm here and I get to be with all you wonderful, crazy people and I'm at home again, you know. It's been so great. When we trust God, if we're willing to let his will be done, he will keep us back from very, very fallible will that we have. It is always better. His will is always good and perfect. And so when we trust God as our Father in heaven, we can say, your will be done, and our hearts can rest, asking for that. Now, we get to us and what we need, right? We've been focusing on God, and here we go with the very first thing. Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. This is just simply, this is just simply what is necessary for today to sustain life, right? What we need right now. And the, the, the Jewish people that heard these words understood exactly what that inferred. And what would that infer to the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, who was led out of Egypt into the wilderness where for many 
years, God provided for them with daily bread, manna from heaven. Each day they would collect it. It would fill them for the day. It was what they needed. But then they went to bed, and they didn't have a refrigerator in the morning to get up, open it, and take out what they wanted. They had to go out again and collect it again. And each morning it would be there for them, fresh, ready. And they had to go to bed trusting God was faithful today. He'll be faithful again tomorrow. So there's this idea of of realizing God will take care of us for what we need. Maybe not everything we want, but he'll take care of us for what we need. And in that day, a day's wage was just enough to buy bread for that day. Could you imagine that? You work all day, you take that pay, and you go and you buy bread, and then it's the same thing the next day. It's not like us who shop at Costco and BJ's and buy bags of cat food you can't even fit into the cabinet because it's so big, right? We, we stock up, but, you know, and, and listen, maybe that'll change one day. We have, we're hearing rumors of things and shortages, and there could be some tough times coming. We're, we may find ourselves having to come back to this very prayer and saying these very words. We don't know. Why should we be different than other nations that have to do that? Because we're America? It could happen. But that is where the true test of our faith and our relationship to our Heavenly Father will, will be proven. So, not only with our daily bread are we encouraged to trust God and to ask Him for it each day, but who is the ultimate true bread from heaven? Jesus said, I am the true bread from heaven that comes down and gives life to the world. He is our daily sustenance. He is what we need for today. He's sufficient. And so we can't even, we can't detach this idea that what Jesus is saying, you know, as we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we can also say, Jesus, I want, I want you today. I want more of you today. I want your supply for today. And then, he gets into our relationships, right? Not just what I need or you need, but he gets into relationships with each other and, of course, between us and God. And he says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven the, uh, our debtors, right? As we forgive those who have sinned against us. Because that's the idea of debts here. Sin is likened unto a debt. Something has to be paid for that sin. And so Jesus is saying two things here that encourage me and challenge me. Number one, God expects you to fail in some way every day. You probably already did that on your way to church today, right? And if you say no, I'm going to ask the person you're sitting with if you're lying. So it encourages me that God says, listen, you're going to need to ask forgiveness, and you should ask for it every day. So that's encouraging to me, right? It doesn't mean it's okay, and that's not my license to now go doing whatever I want, but it encourages me that I, I, God expects that and I'm encouraged to pray this actually every day. Conf- you see, it brings our attention to where we have fallen short of the glory of God and it gives us a chance to realign our hearts with him again in his nature. But then he says this other thing that's a bit more challenging. He says, as we forgive our debtors, those who have sinned against us, those who have offended us. You see, we as those who have received God's mercy need to be 
abundantly ready to forgive others. Because the only person who is justified in not forgiving anybody is God. Because he's never sinned against anybody. So he can, he can hold us to that high standard, right? But you and I, we, we've sinned. We've, offend, we've sinned against him. We've sinned against each other. And we've received mercy for that sin. And we're so thankful for that sin. But then when someone sins against us, you see, when we sin, we want mercy. When Jimmy sins against me, I want justice. He needs to suffer for what he did, right? No, Jesus teaches us, hey, while we are asking forgiveness, let's be mindful of forgiving those that we have maybe been holding on to some unforgiveness. Then when we do that, we are like Truly like our Father in heaven who forgives. Then we become children who are like our Father and we reflect him better to the world. More so now than ever before in our cancel culture where people say so quickly, I'm done with you. You think differently than me. You irritated me. You offended me by whatever you said or did or put on social media. Unfriend. May that never be true of believers with believers. Guys, if we can't figure that out in this life now, what have we learned of the nature of God? So Jesus says, when you pray daily, ask for forgiveness. Be aware that you need to forgive others. And you know, I, I, I believe that where the greatest challenge comes in, in the area of holding on to things is in the marriage relationship, which is inherently Due to the way that men and women think differently, process differently, we have different ideas. And in my case, I literally speak a different language than my wife. She's from Serbia. But also as men and women, we speak a different language, don't we? And, and many times it's like, you're not getting what I'm saying. It's so simple. Why don't you get it? Say it differently if you see I'm not getting it, right? You ever had that conversation? We have that that struggle, and so where forgiveness is most needed and should be ready to give is in the marriage relationship. Because of what Jesus has done for us and because we have come together in a union that he designed and that in the center of which is Jesus himself, but I'm learning more more and more, the more years I'm married, we're coming up on 27 years this month, about how much I'm still learning to, to understand how my wife processes things differently than I, I do. It's not worse, it's not better, but it's different, but that, those differences create a lot of opportunity for some, some struggles. And just kind of highlighting that difference, I found this an interesting story about a Spanish teacher who was teaching how Spanish is different than English. There's genders, right? So you have feminine and you have masculine words. So water, agua is feminine. It ends in an A. Then there's masculine words that uh, end in a consonant. Same like many other languages. English doesn't have that. And so what she did is she divided the room into two groups. And she said, all right, all you women go over here. All you men go over here. And I want you to discuss together whether you think the word computer is or isn't masculine or feminine or should be 
masculine or feminine, and give four reasons why. <laughs> so, the men came together, they got their, their reasons, and they said, we think that computers should be masculine, el computador, and reason number one was because they said, no one but their creator understands their internal logic. Reason number two, the native language they use to communicate with other computers is incomprehensible to everyone else. <laughs> Even the smallest mistakes, reason number three, are stored in long-term memory for possible later retrieval. The women are going to get their chance in a minute. And as soon as you make a commitment to one, you find yourself spending half your paycheck on accessories for it. <laughs> well, then the women came together and we said... We think computers should be, should be uh, masculine. I think I switched it in the earlier one. It was, they, the men said it should be feminine. The women said it should be masculine, el computador, because they said, number one, in order to do anything with them, you have to push the right button. <laughs> number two, they have a lot of data, but they still can't think for themselves. <laughs> First service, the women were going, yep. Number three, they're supposed to help you solve problems, but half the time they are the problem. And number four, as soon as you commit to one, you realize that if you had waited a little longer, you could have had a better model. <laughs> well, I won't say who won. So true, right? Why is this so profoundly true and funny? It's funny because it's true. We think these things. So forgiveness. But lastly, he ends on temptation. And this prayer to God to say, God, lead us not into temptation, it's not because God wants to lead us into temptation and we have to ask him not to. This is more of a Semitic expression where the prayer is, by all means and in all ways possible, keep us from temptation. Now the thing about temptation is that many times temptation isn't caused simply by external forces, but by internal choices, right? We many times put ourselves in a place where we are tempted. If you guys remember that old show, Hee Haw, from the late 60s, early 70s, Doc Campbell was told by a patient that uh, he had broken his arm in two places, and Doc said, well, then stay out of them places, and that's the idea, right? We lead ourselves into temptation many times. And so as we pray, Lord, keep us from temptation, we're really more keeping our hearts in check and in tune with him. So Jesus gives us this short but profound prayer that I really see this as something that challenges me. It keeps my heart in check. I would encourage us all today to go home and to at some point in the quiet of the evening, open up your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 6, read these wor words that we've read today to the Lord in the posture of prayer and mean every one of them. And then see what does God show you about yourself and what is in your heart as you speak these words because this, more than anything as prayer, is aligning us with God's heart. So let's pray. Father, as we, as we end these reflections on your word and 
just the very challenge that this prayer presents for us. Lord, we're thankful that we can call you Father in heaven. We're thankful, Lord, that you have made a way for us to know you. You've made a way for us to be forgiven. And Lord, this morning even, just being reminded that we are to forgive one another. Lord, if we're wrestling, if any of us are wrestling with forgiveness for someone, I pray that you would help us to give that over to you in recognition that we have received so much mercy from you. That we will be quick to forgive. That we'd be willing to forget and put it aside and, and not hold it against another's account as true forgiveness, forgiveness should be. So Lord, work in our hearts and our minds to, to be those children of God that live in a way where your name is held in high esteem by what we do and what we say, how we live. May others see your handiwork, you as the creator. May it be clear that we are your children. And Lord, even as we reflect on what you've done for us to know you and call you, Father, through communion this morning, we're just so thankful for, for you, Jesus, and that you gave of yourself for us, your body, offered up, your blood shed, so that we could be made right with our creator and call you as our God, Father in heaven. We love you, Lord, and we pray even in this time of reflection that we can go deeper with you right now as we hold the bread, as we open the cup and drink the juice together, Lord, that we would understand not just where we stand with you individually, but who we are collectively as a body here, as a church. We love you, Lord. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.